Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, without a computer, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And in Nashville, Tennessee, fighting off the flu, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, boys? Um, Somehow I'm I'm here. I'm hanging on by a thread. But uh, let's get the show on the road, and uh, let's talk about a great weekend that was in college football. All right, yeah, uh, we appreciate you uh, persevering through that, Coach. But uh, we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who prefers caucusing to voting. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Scott Cook. Oh, yeah, it's election day. History will be made. We'll either have the first female president or the first orange president. It's, uh, it's an exciting time. All right. Well, uh, we will avoid talking politics this uh, for at least this next 45 minutes or so while we recap uh, the big, big uh, games from Week 10 in college football. Uh, we're switching up our format a little different today uh, for our uh, play action section, but we're going to start it off like we always do with some quick slants. Uh, so, Josh, uh, you're up first to the line. Yeah, um, you know, you guys talk about the American, especially you, Professor, so much that I think some of our listeners don't know that I, too, Love the American. So a, a rare opportunity for me to fly uh, the American Conference banner here on our show. Um, each Sunday when I do my poll, it's getting harder and harder to find an American Conference team to rank because the, the league is so balanced. They just keep beating up on each other. Uh, Temple has now uh, ripped off four straight. They're 5-1 in the league, 7-3 and three overall a great shot with their tiebreaker over South Florida to get to the title game. That is super exciting. Uh, out in the West, Tulsa just continues to be so impressive this year, coming from nowhere, really. Uh, but I wanted to talk on Nate about Navy for this. They had uh, just such an impressive win against Notre Dame. Uh, the Irish uh, had a nice 10-play drive to take a 24-21 lead. Uh, What did Navy do? They responded with a 16-play, 75-yard, nine-minute drive to reclaim the lead, 28-24. Then they held the Irish to a field goal to make it 28-27, and I'm sure Brian Kelly and all the Irish fans are thinking, all right, cool, we cut it to a one-point game, just need another field goal to win it. Unfortunately, Navy put together this gem. 57 yards, 14 plays, 7 minutes, 28 seconds. They ran out the clock. Irish didn't touch the ball again. That is just incredible ball control. Well done, Navy, uh, to win that game yet again. It's It's a rivalry in name, not really a rivalry in performance because the Irish have dominated it, but Navy's won four in recent history. Uh, Well done, Middies. Yeah, that was an outstanding game by the Middies this weekend. And, I mean, Josh, you, you just talked about it. That last drive, and they didn't even score anything on that, ran out the clock, was 
one of the most impressive things I've seen uh, that team do this season. And they've done a lot of impressive things, beating Houston um, and so forth. But that was, uh, you know, as if you're a coach, you've got to love seeing that out of your team, being able to not let the other team get the ball back. Right, Coach? That's right. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's, it's a great – Great deal to, to, to have with uh, with the middies and man, it's you know it's a coach's dream for sure to, to run that to run that four minute drill, just not let them not let them touch it again and uh, and seal it. Excellent. Well, coach, what have you got for your slam? <clears throat> well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take you around the uh, Mountain West here. Um, it's your new favorite. It's your new favorite place. I know it really is, and uh, you know I I've kind of I've kind of just been. More inclined and and uh, a little bit, you know, I don't want to say falling in love, but this is probably my favorite group of five conference now. It's the most interesting, I should say. Um, we'll start uh, with the Wyoming-Utah State matchup, a matchup that I was said that was a big test for Wyoming as far as coming into this game and showing that the Boise State win was not a fluke. And, well, Josh Allen passed for 261 yards and had four touchdowns. They won – you know, ho hum, fifty-two to twenty-eight. Um, so the so the uh, Cowboys of Wyoming remain unbeaten in conference, seven to two overall. So um, what's what's unfolding is a great season for the Cowboys. Uh, continues there, uh, Josh Allen, of course, uh, leading the way. New Mexico, four and one in the Mountain West, uh, six and three overall. They they uh, they improved their record, thirty-five twenty-six over Nevada who falls to one and four in conference. San Diego State pummels Hawaii. Um, Donnell Pumphrey had uh, chipped in with 112 yards on 21 carries. Um, and uh, as they blank Hawaii at home, they improved to 5-0 and in conference, 8-1 and overall. Colorado State doing much of the same. They shut out Fresno State. Uh, Nick Stevens, again, uh, going for 237 and two touchdowns for uh, – for the Rams as they uh, as they shut out Fresno. Fresno 0-6 in the Mountain West. They got an interim coach right now. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of who takes over that job. Um, but whoever does has a lot of work ahead of them because this thing is turning into a mess very quickly. Uh, Air Force, um, Arian Worthman, 195 and a touchdown. Rushed for also 63 yards as well. Had a, had a touchdown. He was 6 of 9. Um, for those 195 yards uh, through the air as they as they rip up Army 31 to 12, uh, a game that a game that we saw an improving Army team being able to beat or being able to win. I, I think it's one of those that Air Force said, you know what, we smell blood in the water, so let's uh, let's go get it. So they uh, they want they are winners of the Commander in Chief Trophy, uh, and uh, congratulations to the Air Force Academy. Uh, for doing such, uh, and then uh, lastly, Boise State they uh, 45-31 victors over San Jose State. They they improved to four and one in conference, eight and one overall. And San Jose State, a team that we gave a little bit of credit to this during the uh, during the preseason, uh, it's just really I want to say they're disappointing. And I, I know we didn't expect a lot out of them, but we expected something out of them and didn't really get it. They're three and seven right now, two and four in the conference. Uh, just not getting it done this year, which is uh, which is kind of surprising. We thought that they would. Uh, we thought that they would kind of. I, I don't. I don't want to say outright contenders, but I'm guessing that they were going to be 
doing something, but they're not doing much of anything right now. So uh, that's kind of what happened this weekend in the Mountain West. Uh, a lot of what you expected and, and, and uh, very little of what we didn't. Right. Uh, all right. Thank you, Coach. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that you have really sort of embraced the Mountain West at uh, this point. Um, and one of the things that I've been embracing even more recently is the FCS. On last Thursday's show, I gave you guys a preview of five big games, and they all turned out to be, you know, pretty much either really good wins or very dominant performances by one team or the other. Um, we're going to start with Eastern Washington continuing in their winning ways with a solid 42-21 victory over number 16 Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. It's another ho-hum 357-yard four-touchdown game for uh, Eagles quarterback Gabe Gabrud and receiver Cooper Cup, um, who is a hot name in terms of being an NFL prospect right now, had a very, very good performance catching the ball with 11 receptions for 154 yards and a touchdown. What was perhaps even more impressive was that he was also two-for-two two passing with two touchdowns, um, both to fellow receiver Shaq Hill. Um, the Cal Poly Mustangs rushed for 372 yards, but they also coughed the ball up twice to go along with, an, with a pick, and those three turnovers were really all that Eastern Washington needed to keep on their winning ways. North Dakota State had a dominant Missouri Valley Conference victory over number 17 Youngstown State, 24-3 at home. Even though the Penguins had the ball for 11 and a half more minutes in the Bison, they could not really get anything going on an offense, and they really didn't get any help from their special teams, missing two field goals of 29 and 32 yards. North Dakota State running back Chase Morlock had 101 yards and a score, and the NDSU defense was stout throughout the game. Despite their loss to South Dakota State earlier in the season, uh, the Bison remain one of the most dangerous teams in FCS, as we've already seen this year. They've already beaten uh, a Power 5 conference team in Iowa, and oh yeah, they are the five-time defending national champions in FCS. James Madison outdueled Richmond in a thriller Saturday night, 47-43, and moved to 6-0 in the CAA. Uh, the Dukes kept a balanced attack with 285 yards to the air and 249 on the ground. James Madison quarterback Brian Shore was, uh, two, uh, was 22 of 28 for 285 yards and three touchdowns and zero picks to go along with 91 yards and a score with his legs. Uh, Spiders quarterback Kyle Laluta did his best to keep Richmond in the game, though. He had 435 yards, five touchdowns, and zero picks. Um, perhaps the most amazing stat from this game, though, was the fact that James Madison had zero punts. Um, and so this was, this was a really, really fantastic game um, with James Madison just taking the lead with, only, with just under two minutes left in the game um, on one of Brian Shore's passes. And now James Madison takes a commanding lead at 6-0 in the Colonial Athletic Association. The Citadel kept their unexpected unbeaten season going uh, this weekend when they took down number 20 uh, Samford 37-34 in overtime. The Citadel's triple option attack was really strong, led by Tyler Renews, 285 yards and three touchdowns. The Bulldogs outrushed the Bulldogs 463-93. But Samford quarterback Devlin Hodges was – uh, was a freak because he accounted for 373 of the team's 372 total yards. Now, how is that possible? Well, he had all of the team's passing yards. Um, he had 94 yards rushing, and the rest of the, uh, the running backs on the team accounted for negative one yards, which is 
uh, something I had never seen before in a, uh, in, in a college game, but I'm sure it's happened at another point. But, um, you know, the, uh, the Citadel just continues on its winning ways, and they were just they, – they were great on the ground. Um, they had, you know, a second running back over 100 yards with a score, and it's, you know, Citadel won in overtime with uh, a field goal, and then Samford hit the uprights uh, with their try in the extra frame. So it's been, you know, a, uh, you know, a really, really great season so far for the Citadel, and with that win, they have wrapped up at least a share of the SoCon title. Finally, in a matchup between the two top teams in the Ivy League, Princeton absolutely dominated Penn 28-0 and continued our hashtag year of the third phase movement, opening with uh, opening the scoring of the game with a block punt scoop and score. Uh, Princeton quarterback John Lovett passed for one and ran for another touchdown, and uh, the Tigers' D-line that we talked about last week completely shut down the Quaker rushing attack. It was um, just real, real dominance out there on Saturday in central New Jersey. And, uh, you know, Princeton now has a firm grasp, um, a hold of the Ivy, or I should say at least it's in their control. Should they win out, they will be Ivy champions for the first time in a long time. So um, good job by Princeton. And there was just another really great weekend overall in uh, FCS. So we love we love seeing some of those, uh, you know, we'll call them down ballot games if it's an election day. So um, between all of the, you know, conferences that not everyone's paying attention to, but we definitely are here on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. And with that, we're going to move on to our play action segment for this week. And we're going to do it a little bit differently because instead of just focusing on, you know, four, five, six big games, um, we're going to talk conference by conference because there were so many games that have conference implications going on them. And so we're just going to have, um, we're going to go conference by conference just have a discussion about, you know, sort of our big takeaways from the weekend, what impressed us, what are we worried about, and things like that. And we're going to start in the ACC. So in the ACC this weekend, um, there were um, a couple blowouts, including Clemson over Syracuse, um, which was an absolute destruction, um, and some other uh, not as um, you know, not as big a wins, but some, uh, you know, very notable ones as well. Um, I mean, this includes North Carolina beating Georgia Tech, um, uh, Virginia Tech over Duke, Florida State over North Carolina State, and so on and so forth. So I'm going to pose this question to the group, and I guess I'll, I'll start with you, Josh. And my question is, who had the more dominant performance this weekend? Louisville over BC 52-7. to in uh, Boston or Clemson over Syracuse, 54 nothing at home? I think it has to be the Tigers. Uh, Syracuse came into the game 4-4, four and four, uh, the same as BC did in theirs. But Syracuse's 4-4 four and four is a little bit better. They had won <clears throat> two straight conference games, uh, including the upset of Virginia Tech. Uh, their offense, while not necessarily finishing drives, is efficient at putting up yards, the, the 11th best passing attack in the country. So Syracuse has some things going for it. Uh, BC entered 4-4 four and four also, which I think might have surprised some people, but it was a pretty ugly 4-4. Four and four. Their, their wins were against Buffalo, Wagner, and UMass. That's a, that's a pretty bad 
group in conference games. I even included BC's win to be nice. So this isn't even just their conference losses. This is all their conference games. BC, um, after Louisville, has been outscored 216-51. to 51. So BC's the worst team in the conference. They're probably going to be firing their coach. So uh, I know it was a road game, and I know um, uh, Boston can – sometimes that crowd can, can show up a little bit. But uh, I'm still going to go with the, the Clemson win over Syracuse. But, I, you know, I know you framed it as those two teams, but i got to be honest, I think North Carolina still had the most impressive – Weekend, uh, Georgia Tech is uh, is a five win team right now, and North Carolina beat them by four touchdowns. That's that seems a lot more impressive than anything else they did. And and with Virginia Tech struggling to beat Duke, um, Tech still has the the Yellow Jackets and uh, Bronco Mendenhall Virginia team that's been playing better as of late. Than they did to start the year. I, I think the Tar Heels still have a great shot at making the ACC title game because Virginia Tech getting upset in the final stretch wouldn't surprise me. Coach, how do you feel about, uh, about this weekend? Well, I, you know, I, I think it's, you know, I watched the Clemson game um, and I felt like they couldn't do anything wrong. And um, out of the two teams that you mentioned, out of the two matchups that you mentioned, I would definitely, without a doubt, say that, Clemson's was more dominating because of the caliber team they were playing against. Uh, Syracuse is a much improved team. Uh, they're a team that's on the rise. They're a team that can surprise you and, and upset you if you don't watch out. And, you know, we, we can't say the same about Boston College. You know, Boston College is a glorified high school team is basically what it is. And, uh, and they play like it. And they play like their coach is about to be uh, fired any moment now. Um, kind of surprised they haven't already, but you know that's neither here nor there. Um, so if you're asking me between those two teams, yes. Um, also, North Carolina, as Josh alluded to, four touchdown win over Georgia Tech. I mean that's that's pretty impressive as well. You know because Georgia Tech is a team that that's pretty pesky most of the time. They play well. They they do what they do very very well. And uh, you know it's 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 a game that you you say, hey, you know, North Carolina's here on the map. They have a chance at this thing, and they can, they can make some noise. And, and and that surprised me a lot, too, because, you know, I, I, I picked the upset. And, you know, I guess, if, uh, I guess if I pick an upset, it just goes to show you that, hey, pick opposite of what I pick in that situation, and you'll be just fine. So, um, you know, what I'm – Miami coming out uh, and doing what they did. They they've been struggling lately. Uh, you know they beat they ran it up on a pit team that we that we all thought would be very good. And Josh, I think you picked them to be the the representative uh, in the ACC championship. I did. Yeah. I mean, they just uh, not enough defense this year. It's weird to say that about an our our doozy coach team. Yeah. Exactly. And then Miami just ran it up on them there. And uh, you know the Wake the Demon Deacons six and three this year. A team that we didn't expect a whole lot out of, but they they might start to become the uh, the adopted team, right, Josh? Uh, I've I've had them in my polls <laughs> earlier in the season. I tried to get them in again this week, but uh, couldn't quite get it. They they have though Clemson and Louisville the next two weeks. If they can win either of those for a marquee victory, that would be awesome. Yeah, it would be. Uh, man, they're they're a team that. 
they're well coached and you know I, I think they've had the right theory on things and, and that's to be patient and, and just kind of let let things work itself out so uh, very good to see that this team is is doing their thing so do you guys think that uh, North Carolina so it sounds like you guys think that North Carolina is in the driver's seat in the coastal then well, Virginia, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think with Virginia Tech losing, I think it puts them in. I, I think they're the better team, to be honest with you. Uh, and 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 outside of a of a hurricane, they they could have proved that. Um, but Fedora had had a moment where he decided that he wasn't going to let the weather dictate his his play calling, and well, it did, and uh, he ended up losing because of it. Well, Josh, was there anything in that North Carolina game this this weekend that you talked about against Georgia Tech that – were there any particular players that stood out to you, like Trubisky or anyone? Oh, actually what stood out to me was their offense. Uh, they gave up – or their defense. They gave up 20 points, and 17 of that was in the first half. And uh, Fedora said that he told the team to play pissed off. And, man, that, that defense brought it because Georgia Tech's offense is is – tricky I know sometimes they don't put up many points but like it's the triple option with ACC caliber athletes it's they've got so much explosive potential and so what what the Tar Heel defense did with what Chiswick did with that defense was was really impressive in the second half but you know you asked about the driver's seat and you know Virginia Tech has the tiebreaker but just hasn't looked as good and both teams end with pretty easy, easy schedules. I, I mentioned Virginia Tech a few minutes ago. Uh, Tar Heels end at Duke and NC State. Um, they've got your Citadel team, though, in between. Oh, yeah, that, you you got to watch out for the Citadel this year, man. I mean, that'd be, that'd be a crazy game. If they, if they won their two ACC games, Virginia Tech gets tripped up. So they go to the title game, but on the 19th, they lay an egg and, and somehow lose to the key death. That'd be pretty crazy. Well, you know, one thing about that is, you know, when we're talking about the, the Citadel is they run a triple option tax. So they can – they'll have game tape. Both teams will have game tape. Um, so, you know, Citadel have game tape on how North Carolina defends triple option against Georgia Tech. And North Carolina's going to have, you know, they will have played a triple option opponent relatively recently. So it's not like they're completely coming out of the blue. So I'm not sure if that which one neutralizes the other, but um, it's going to be, you know, it, it should be fun no matter what. I think that, you know, I, I don't think that the, the key deaths will be able to, you know, pull it up. Said North Carolina just has too much talent. But Citadel is a, a lot of fun to watch, and, you know, they try to get it wide as much as possible. So, um, well, let's move on then uh, from the ACC. Uh, actually, no, hold on. We, we, the one game we didn't touch on was – Florida State, you know, going up to Raleigh, playing North Carolina State, always seems like weird things happen there. Um, but Florida State is just not the team we thought they were, are they, Josh? No, they're not. And we've talked about their their defensive issues um, at length. And I, I know that the NC State game was much closer, so the defense did play better in that 24-20 final. But, um, you know, let's give – I don't know if Dave Norman will save his job because at the end of the day, moral victories are not really what fans want. But NC State has to be the most squirrely four and five team I've ever seen. They gave Clemson fits. They gave Florida State fits. They have to be leading the nation in moral victories. So um, 
you know, I still, I still really like this Florida State team. They showed against Clemson that 37-34 defeat. Their potential, um, they're not the team that got obliterated by Louisville. They, they've improved all throughout the year. And I think you, you hit the, head, the nail on the head, Matt. Going to Raleigh is just weird, and I don't think NC State is as bad as their record indicates. I fully expect Florida State to, to win their last two ACC games. And with Del Rio getting dinged up again, they, they might be able to upset Florida as well. Yeah, it would not surprise me if they upset Florida at all. Well, let's move on now uh, to our, our next conference, alphabetically at least, and that is uh, the Big 12. And uh, this was a topsy-turvy weekend, uh, to say the least, headlined by TCU's absolute decimation of Baylor. And we were actually talking about this, guys, on Saturday while we're watching the games. And so my question, Coach, I'm going to start with you. Did Baylor get what they deserve for openly dissing Jim Grobe with the black protest uniforms? Absolutely. I mean, that's so disrespectful. I, I hate it being upset with them firing a guy that you had, you know, that had built your program to a level that's contending for national championships yeah. every year and, you know, all the good things about Art Bryles and what he brings to the table. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah, I, I get being upset about that and not, you know, you know, about them firing him. But really, at this point in the season, you've been pretty successful with Jim Grobe. You were, you were undefeated at one point. I mean, Jim Grobe has done a good job. It's just completely disrespectful to Jim Grobe uh, at this point for a team to be protesting a firing that happened over the summer. And it, it just it disappoints me. Um, it, it turned Baylor from a team that, that I was willing to root for, even, to a team that I'm, I now hate. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not a good look, especially because in the wake of everything that has happened at Baylor, you know, it, it, it seems just very, I, I don't want to say like insensitive, but I guess that's the best word I can come up with right now. You know, there's more stuff has come out even in the past week about, um, you know, the culture, the rape culture and the cover-ups that went on at the university. And to just be, you know, so it's tone deaf is what it is. Um, so, you know, with their now, now being three and two in conference, they even now jump back to fourth. And our leader is Oklahoma, who survived somewhat of a scare at Iowa State. You know, in the first half, uh, the Clowns are really sticking with the Sooners. But, um, you know, in the end, Oklahoma wins. But it looks like, Josh, that uh, Bedlam is going to be the matchup that really, uh, you know, decides who is going to be uh, the representative for the uh, New Year's Six games for the Big 12. Yeah, you know, in addition to Bedlam, uh, West Virginia, it's easy to kind of forget about them. They don't really fit geographically, and then they were off this last week, so they weren't really on our radar. But uh, the Mountaineers host Oklahoma in two weeks. They travel to Austin this week, so if they can survive that, that tough road trip and, and deal with Bevo's smell, uh, they're very much alive in this too because they get the Sooners in their own backyard. Uh, yeah, that, that, that is true. Well, um, well, speaking of uh, Bedlam, though, 
Oklahoma State had a really nice road win at Kansas State. I believe I picked that one. You guys did not. So word up to me coming back what? in the second half of the uh, of the season in our in my, in my terrible terrible against the spread picks. But um, I want to talk a little bit though about the game uh, out in Lubbock. Texas Tech has lost two weeks in a row to two really really tough games and. I'm starting to doubt if they're ever going to be able to have a defense out there. So, I mean, Coach, is there anything that Cliff Kingsbury can do to, uh, you know, to shore up their problems? Uh, put more of an emphasis on finding elite defensive players and, and staff members. I mean, uh, the way they play offense is not conducive to, to playing great defense because of the amount of time that their offense holds the ball. I mean, you go three and out and you've burnt 15 seconds of game clock. It's not necessarily conducive to having a successful defense because they are on the field way too much. Um, also, I think if you, as a university, went and spent the money, um, as a football program, went and spent the money to get a legitimate defensive coordinator and somebody that can bring out the talent, I think you'll start to kind of see that and put more of an emphasis on playing great defense because – it is possible that schools like Texas Tech and people that run that style of offense can play great defense. It, it doesn't – you can't have one – the theory of you can't have one without the other is, is you know, it's not, it's not you know, conducive to anything. So, just as long as they just philosophy-wise put, put more of an emphasis on I think you'd be just fine. Well, and, you know, uh, one thing that I want to add on top of that is – you know, we talked about West Virginia here a second ago. And the most amazing thing to me about West Virginia is that they are 20th in the nation in scoring defense, which, you know, Big 12 teams, you know, in this day and age never rank that high. And the fact that they are, you know, that high is saying something that they might be doing something right in Morgantown and zigging when everyone else is zagging and, you know, putting a little bit of em more emphasis on their defense, which is not sort of Dana Holgerson's MO uh, in the past has been much. No, and I think two coaches that we really need to give a you know a tip of the hat to for for changing their style. You brought up Olgerson, uh, and when Coach was talking about what Cliff Kingsbury can do in, in Texas Tech, I immediately had flashes of Larry Fedora. Um, this is a guy who ran that high octane offense with great success at Southern Miss. Got to North Carolina and realized, oh wow, like having my defense left out to dry against ACC athletes. That's not going to be a recipe for success. What did he do? Brought in Gene Chizik. My coach also mentioned the offensive philosophy. They still have a potent offensive attack, but Fedora has brought in more of that rushing component with Elijah Hood, and that just allows North Carolina's offense to, even if they have a three and out, they're still going to run at least one running play which will make a three and out closer to a minute and a half than it is 15 seconds. And those are minor tweaks that, that Kingsbury can do. And, and Holgerson's defensive staff has got a little better. Their emphasis on defense has got a little better. But I also think that Holgerson's offense has a lot more running components than people realize. And it, it sounds weird to say that, like, you know, a three and out – is treated differently, but there really is. If, if you run three rushing plays, three and out is going to be closer to two minutes, and it will be three incomplete passes. 
And so as much as Kingsbury likes to pass it, one thing he can do to help his defense out immediately is just sprinkle in some more runs. It's that simple. Well, it's not even like that their running game is bad. You know, when they run the ball, they tend to be relatively effective at it. You know, not exactly the the greatest, but, um, you know, they're still they are still definitely getting yards on the ground when they when they need to and although it's out of the spread it, it doesn't matter you can still keep that clock moving and just get your defense off of the field for a little while because you know by the second half these guys are so gassed that you know of course they're going to get beat deep all the time because they've been you know because they've been on the field for twice as long as the other team so um well uh, with that let's move on to the big 10 where there were a, a couple of big wins, including Wisconsin in Northwestern, winning in Evanston for the first time since 1999. Ohio State absolutely shellacking the Cornhuskers. Uh, Penn State, solid victory over Iowa. And, uh, you know, Michigan obviously blew out Maryland. But in what has just been an absolutely terrible turn of events for the Michigan State team, they lost to Illinois. So, Josh, who feels the worst today, Michigan State, Iowa, or Nebraska? Well, uh, I tried because to – obviously the answer every day is Purdue, but we're throwing <laughs> Purdue out of that. Uh, well, I tried to bite my tongue a little bit and not spend too much airtime on the ACC and Big 12 because uh, I'm dusting out my soapbox right now, Matt. Get on your soapbox, Josh. Preach. Because I, I, I feel like I'm going to go a little in-depth on this conversation on this question prompt, which I love, by the way. But uh, who feels worse? Um, I don't think you can even include Nebraska in this. I know they got molly whopped, and that, that's never fun. But they're a 7-2 and two ball club, a year removed from a 5-7 and seven season, a year in which it's the second season with a new coach who hasn't even turned over the roster and gotten it what he wants. Uh, they have Minnesota, Maryland, and Iowa left. A great shot at going 10-2, and two, getting to a really good bowl game. Um, there's nothing wrong with getting blown out. In fact, I think most fans would rather get blown out because they know that it just weren't as good. It, you know, the, the loss that we as Wisconsin fans, Matt, suffered in overtime to Ohio State, it's going to pick a nag at us for what? Five years? A decade? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Badgers absolutely should have won that game. So, yeah, that, that's going to be for a while. Yeah, so I don't think Nebraska you can really even include in this. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think Michigan State fans even necessarily feel that bad. They won the Big Ten a year ago. They played in the playoffs a year ago. They have a proven coach who has matched wits with Urban Meyer and come out on top a fair amount of times. They have – you know, one of the most memorable games ever last season against Michigan, graduated all their skill players. They, the cupboard was bare offensively, and they needed the defense be one of the best in the nation. And they had so many injuries on defense that it, it was, the thing was just going to be a house of cards this year. We thought, we thought their starters had potential, but we knew they were thin. And, and they're just showing that. So I don't think Michigan State even necessarily feels that bad. It's kind of an annoying season, but at the end of the day, they have so much success recently 
And I don't think they feel that bad. The person who does feel bad, though, from that Illinois game, and I suggest everyone to look this up on YouTube, Yahoo Sports, or whatever, on Illinois' go-ahead touchdown to win, the guy closest to the play ruled it a touchback. It's hilarious. It's a great the, – The referee closest to the play, yeah. It yeah. was a – like, he did it in a very, like, flamboyant way, too. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a great moment in Big Ten officiating. So, by process of elimination, that leaves my Iowa Hawkeyes as the most disappointed team in the Big Ten. So – Nebraska, we've talked about injuries. Wisconsin, we've talked about injuries. Yet their seasons have been successful, and they've managed to survive. Iowa just has one real injury. That's their wide receiver. But they had no offense before he got hurt, so it really doesn't seem to matter that much. Their offensive line was technically young, but they still had good pieces to it. And their coach is an offensive line specialist. And his son, who played offensive line, coaches that position. So it seemed like the offensive line should be fine. Yet it's not. They have zero offense. They're 82nd in scoring, uh, 93rd in rushing, and 106th in passing. And it got to the point that against Penn State, they would line up in a formation, and Penn State would call out our play. They had negative rushing yards in the second half. They had 30 rushing yards in a game. Like, that is awful. Per- Purdue rushed for more yards against Penn State. Like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. They are the worst team in the Big Ten. They are going to lose by probably 60 to Michigan. They will lose by probably 40 to Nebraska. And if they somehow find a way to win at Champaign, they get to go to a super crappy bowl game at 6-6, six and six, which I hope they lose to go 6-7. and seven. The And I know people want Greg Davis fired, but, like, I read a great comment about him, which was when he was at Texas, he ran three distinct offenses. He ran a power running game with Ricky Williams. He ran a spread them out passing attack with Colt McCoy, and he ran a hybrid with a mobile quarterback in Vince Young. This is a guy who, while you don't love his play calling, he's at least smart enough to put his players in the best position to win. So why is he running one specific offense at Iowa? It's clear. It's Kirk Ferentz that, like, I thought that firing the assistants would make a difference, but I'm fully convinced that it's not going to make a difference. And it brings me back to something that I was texting you about, Matt, that I want to kind of switch this question around to you and also pose it to Corey, which is why are coaches so stubborn? When you look at the best coach in football, it's without a doubt Nick Saban. And a few years ago, Nick Saban was complaining about the spread and the hurry up, and he never wanted to have a mobile quarterback. What does he do? He goes out and hires Lane Kiffin, and his offense has become the very thing he complained about. Saban's greatest strength is his flexibility. Why do coaches like Les Miles, who lost his job, Kirk Ferentz, who should lose his job, why do these coaches get in their mind that their way is clearly the best when every bit of evidence shows that to win games you need to be flexible and be humble enough 
to throw your game plan out the window. I don't get it. It's I'll let Coach, I'll let coach into that one because that, that, that's right up your alley. It, it's all ego. It's all just, you know, coaches not wanting to – coach not wanting to wrap their heads around their ideas, their schemes, their whatever doesn't work um, is really all it is. Um, all coaches are built that their way is the best way, you know, hands down, and they just can't – it's just the coaches that can – are able to handle that like the Urban Myers and the Sabins and the, the, you know, the best coaches in, in, in America that are able to be flexible enough to understand that, Hey, my way is not, may not necessarily be the best way. I've got to kind of go towards the trend a little bit. Uh, you know, those are the more successful people because they are able to deal with any adversity that comes their way. So, uh, you know, the, the short answer is ego. It's all ego. It's all just them believing that they're the best and they can't handle not being the best. So, you know, that's it, – it seems it seems like a, a very simple answer for a very complex problem. Um, but, you know, ego can be a, a – ego can be a very disruptive, very destructive uh, thing for, for coaches. And you saw what it did for Les Miles. You saw what – you know, what it's about to do to Kirk Ferentz and, you know, other coaches of, of that nature. So, um, you know, you have to be able to be flexible, and, and that's that's the key to it. Yeah. What's weird is you'd think winning would pump up the ego more than losing by doing your same game plan that you had since 1999. Well, I guess I want to I pose this question to you, Josh. Who's better, Penn State? Wisconsin or Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, is it because of the defense? Yes. Yeah. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I, the, the Wisconsin defense, again, I mean, they held – Nebraska had seven points, and the only time they crossed midfield was when they got the seven points, basically doing a two-minute drill at the end of the first half. And outside of that, even though the Wisconsin defense was – so banged up. They lost T.J. Watt during the game. They've been out. They, uh, starting nose guard Olivia Segapolu has been out for the past couple of weeks. You know they've got one of the. They've got their old starting defensive end slipped to uh, sliding down a nose tackle and a true freshman playing nose tackle in a three-four and being successful, which is something you rarely see. Yeah, I um, mean he's he's undersized too. So, but Josh, you've watched, you watched this Penn state team a little bit this weekend, at least what, what, how is, how have they changed from previous James Franklin teams? You know, have they been flexible like we've been talking about and sort of changing their approach? They have. And I think that like your question about who's better between Penn state and Wisconsin, I think Wisconsin is better because of that defense. I think Penn state is more dangerous because they have Trace McSorley who is probably the second best quarterback in the conference to just JT Barrett. Um, he's such a talented dual threat kid. And I know Michigan's quarterbacks putting up a lot of numbers too, but Wilton speed's not as dangerous with his feet. Um, and, and that's just, that's changed it because we, we've talked about how Penn state's offensive line just hasn't really ever gotten very good under Franklin. And that, destroyed Hackenberg. He got sacked a billion times. But McSorley can make plays out of the mess in front of him. And as a result, that passing game has come alive. So now as a result, teams can't 
load the box, and now teams can't load the box to stop the run, which means Barkley, Saquon Barkley, had another great day rushing the ball. He had over 200 yards against Iowa. By that one change at quarterback, Penn State's playbook has opened up. Yeah, and it's been you know quite a, a, a shift then from having the statue Hackenberg that back there, and you know that's obviously been for the better. Um, Indiana had a, had another win this weekend, and so they are they're looking good. Um, and but you know it was uh, pretty rough for for Maryland and Nebraska out there as they both got completely shellacked. But um, the the Ohio State Michigan game is going to be uh, an absolute. Uh, is going to be an absolute thriller this year. I, I'm very excited about that game as someone who really dislikes both teams. Um, so let's then uh, move on to uh, the Pac-12. And the, the Pac-12 had, um, you know, a, a, couple of, a, a couple of real impressive performances. Washington going into Berkeley and – uh, just absolutely blowing out Cal, 66-27. Washington State at home, 69-7 over a, a, a hapless Arizona squad. And uh, Rich Rod has got to be, you know, second-guessing himself and his, uh, his style uh, going forward. Another impressive victory, or quasi-impressive victory, I guess, with the, how bad the season Oregon is having. But USC at home, 45-20 over the Ducks. And Colorado beats a like the entire UCLA team is in the infirmary right now. They don't have like a single healthy person. Josh Rosen's done for the year. Sosa Jamabo is barely playing. Like they, they, half their defense is you know is gone. They've got Meek Warriors not even showing up to practice. It has been the season from hell for the Bruins, and this is a team that I picked to go to the playoffs. So I feel like a real punt right now with that one. But I guess I'm, I'm going to start by asking you, Josh, who's the best team in the Pac-12 South? Yeah, that's, that's a good question because, because I think it's pretty clear in the North. It's, there's two teams in the North, Washington, Washington state, Apple cup's going to decide who, uh, who's the champion. Of that division. Yeah. What makes the big 12 set or Pac-12 South so hard to figure out is you have three teams and they all, have weaknesses. Uh, so USC, they all pretty big. Yeah, I, I mean USC beat Colorado, but lost to Utah. And in their winning streak, their their five game winning streak, Colorado is the only team in that group that has a pulse. So, what is USC going to do in Seattle? If if USC has another fifty two to six like game that they did against Alabama, write them off. They're obviously not the best. So has USC actually improved, or has their schedule just gotten easier? That, that's the tough thing to figure out about them. Um, Colorado is a little bit like Iowa last year. I think a lot of people are just expecting for the other shoe to drop. And uh, against UCLA, I think a lot of people thought that they might Choked that game. It, it was a, a touch-and-go affair till that punt return opened things up for the Buffs, and they won. But, um, you know, they, they've had a great defense the last few years with Jim Levitt. I, I don't think that defense is going away 
We've only given up 96 points in conference games. That's by far the fewest. The, the second best defense is Washington's with 123. So that's almost 30 points different in the same amount of games played. That's pretty impressive for Colorado. And then Utah is, is right there too. And they just play such a different style. They, they feel like a Big Ten team. They really, I was going to say, they're the Wisconsin of, of this conference. Yeah, and they're never going to blow anyone out, but their defense and their running game is going to keep them in every game. Yeah, so, you know, Utah's so sturdy that it's hard to know. It's hard to knock them off their pedestal. It really is because they're such a strong team. Um, I do think, though, that USC is going to be eliminated. I just don't think with their remaining schedule, including Washington, um, and then they travel to the crosstown rival UCLA, that's going to be UCLA's bowl game. And despite all those injuries, the, the Bruins' defense is still playing with a lot of spirit. So, you know, I think they'll lose in Seattle, and they could very well lose to UCLA. Um, so I think USC's just out of it. They had too many losses early. So I think the, the winner of the Pac-12 South will get to see the finale. Talk about, talk about perfect scheduling. November 26th, Utah in Boulder. That'll determine who's the best. Yeah, and who – I mean, coming into the season, I don't think anyone would have circled that game as the, the definer for the Pac-12 South. I will say, I've been really impressed with USC tailback Ronald Jones. He has been running like um, a man with a capital M. Yeah, he, and I, I mean – He's been he, – I mean, after, you know, you know, Jake Browning, Luke Falk, he might be the most impressive offensive player – Davis Webb, I guess. Um, in at, at least he's definitely the most uh, amazing offensive player in the South right now. Yeah, I guess just to tie it, tie kind of a bow on on Colorado from my perspective is um, all three of us said that they would be a little bit improved, and I was the most bullish on them. I, I said they could make a nice bowl game. None of us had this, and I think we were outside of Buffalo Nation. The three of us. We're really the most optimistic people predicting Colorado's season, and we missed them competing this greatly by a country mile. Oh, completely. Coach, what what do you think? I mean, I I think that, you know, with Colorado doing what they did, I I think it – hang on. Oh, well, we've got an audience today. So um, I'll actually – I'll pick up there for for Coach because – what what has amazed me is how bad the other three teams in the South have been. Arizona is a, a squad that, you know, we've sort of been up and down on the past few years, but we feel like Rich Rod, for the most part, doing a pretty good job in the desert. They're now 2-7, and seven and we're completely lifeless up in Pullman. I know it's not exactly the easiest trip from Tucson to the Palouse, but it was just a completely, you know, they didn't even want to be there. That was pretty clear. I know they're banged up, but, you know, so is everyone else in the conference at this point. Arizona State, they're, uh, don't even get me started on Arizona State. They didn't play this weekend, but um, it was still not, you know, their season is obviously going very, very poorly. And UCLA, my home school, they, it's, it's bad. The feeling on campus is that it's just a lost year. 
And, you know, there is, you know, there is starting to be, you know, rumors and whispers about, you know, is, is it time for them to part ways with Jim Mora? I mean, Josh, you sent me a text, uh, you know, com- uh, comparing his record to a uh, previous coach of theirs and uh, Durrell. And, you know, he's got a worse record than him now. And everyone thinks that Jim Mora sort of brought about this renaissance at UCLA. And the results, you know, they've been a little bit middling lately. Yeah, you know, the um, the problem for UCLA is they run that traditional pro set. Jim Mora, former NFL coach, likes to have the prototypical college quarterback with Josh Rosen, uh, likes to have a running game that doesn't utilize a fullback, a very pro aspect. And that offense is great when you have an offensive line. It is about the worst offense to have if you don't have any blocking. And they have no blocking this year. It got Rosen hurt. It's made their running game non-existent. And, you know, that's, that's the gamble you run. It's the gamble you run with Mora's offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree there. I mean, it's, you know, UCLA is, I don't know what's going on there, Matt. I think you alluded to them, a lot of them being injured and out of it and all that stuff. And, man, are they, uh, they're definitely struggling. And, and I don't know what the answer is for them because they're way too talented of a team to be uh, to be going through what they're going to. I mean, they're one and five in conference. They're three and six overall. I mean, that's just, it's bad. Uh, it's real bad. And uh, you, know, you look at kind of the teams and kind of react as far as the uh, Pac-12 South. Uh, you, know, you look at Arizona, they're not much better. And, you know, it's it's getting bad down there as well. I mean, they're, they're 2-7 and seven right now. They're 0-6 in the Pac-12, something that we never thought we'd be able to see. Um, and and Huck, Huck would agree there. Um, USC is, is kind of becoming the – starting to become the cream of that that division there, and uh, we never thought that that would be possible as well either. We thought that UCLA was going to be kings of the uh, kings of the uh, of the South and kings of LA as well. So, uh, you know, Colorado's becoming a great story. They're seven and two, five and one in conference. They're ranked fifteenth nationally. They're going to be, you know, and they're going to get better and better and better. They get, you know, they get a big commitment from KD Nixon a couple of weeks ago, and their recruiting's going to start to pick up too. And you know, you better watch out because when Boulder, you know, they get behind their team, and, and when they're good, they're really good. Yeah, and it, it definitely gets crazy there in Boulder. So, um, you know, obviously in the Denver and the surrounding area, one of the one of the more popular places in the country to be moving to right now. Well, let's finish well, up. Actually, there. I just wanted to say one other thing about the Pac-12. I, I feel like we've been kind of negative here in the second half of talking about this conference. Um Let's, let's talk about a team real quick that's sort of turned things around. Um, after getting obliterated by Washington State, Stanford's 3-1, and one, and their one loss was a five-point game against Colorado, uh, and we know how good they are. Uh, it, 
you know, I know that it's Arizona and Oregon State, so maybe maybe the turnaround isn't as dramatic as I think it is. But Stanford ends with Oregon, Cal, and Rice. They have a great shot at going three and zero in those games. If they end the season nine and three, playing a decent bowl game with how bad they looked against the two Washington schools, hats off to David Shaw. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've known for a while that he's a great coach, and the beginning of the year seemed like an anomaly, and it, it's turning out to be that way. So, well, we've we got to finish up here with the SEC, um, and it was a absolutely just nuts weekend down south in Coach's Neck of the Woods. Alabama beat LSU in uh, an old-fashioned slugfest, 10-0. It was not the prettiest of football, but, man, there were some hits. Uh, Arkansas absolutely uh, abused Florida at home, 31-10. to uh, Florida did not look like the team that we have seen from them the last few weeks. Biggest surprise, though, Mississippi State beating Texas A&M. Uh, at home, 35-28. Mississippi State got up early and did not let go. So, uh, you know, so, but, so not exactly the greatest banner weekend for the conference. So, Coach, on a scale from 1 to 10, how bad was the SEC's weekend with 1 being not bad at all and 10 being the worst? Coach. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Well, I, I'm sorry. You're, you're busy at, 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 at the moment right now. So we will actually throw that question then. Uh, to Josh, how bad was the SEC's game? Well, this may come as a surprise, but I'm going to say it was about a one and a half or a two. You don't think it was bad? No, they're Alabama and 13 teams that can't make the playoffs. Uh, A&M was not going to make the playoffs. They were ranked way too highly. They won't make the SEC title game, which means they won't have – that benchmark that the committee looks for, I, I don't think a non-champion is going to make a four-team tournament. I think Louisville's done. I think A&M never had a chance. I think the rankings this early <clears throat> are a little bit ridiculous. The, the, the four best conference champions are always going to make this tournament. And so as long as Alabama is floating, the SEC's fine. And Alabama found a way to survive. Uh, the one thing that I do want to point out, though, in that Texas A&M game is Mississippi State was quietly not as awful as we think they were. They lost by three at LSU. Um, they lost by just two at Kentucky. Uh, they had that tough trip out to Provo and only lost by a touchdown. Three of their losses were – and then obviously they lost by one to South Alabama in a game that they missed a chip shot field goal right at the end of the game. So four of their five losses were, were just unbelievably close. So only the Auburn game did they really get embarrassed in. So, you know, you flip a couple of those games around and they're a team that's – you know, let's say they were six and two heading into that game, or, or five and two, or five and three headed into that game. It's a whole different story. I don't think I don't think Dan Mullen's club was ever as 
awful as their record indicated. Okay. Um, well, you know, I, I think that's, I guess I was worried just because, you know, they let FCS Sanford last week score 45 on them. So you think you would think that Texas A&M, I know that they lost Trevor Knight, but still, we think that all of that offensive talent, they'd be able to score more than 28 points. Yeah, you would think, but um, Mississippi State did a great job of shortening the game. They had tons and tons of rushing yards and and just made sure that A&M's offense didn't get to be on the field as much as I'm sure Kevin Sumlin would have hoped. Yeah, yeah. I'm back. I'm sorry. Uh, Huck was uh, Huck was not liking his diaper change, and uh, he was not. He was saying that he didn't want to get his diaper changed. So um, that's. <laughs> That's that's kind of being uh, that's what life as hashtag dad to the bone is like. So, um, on a scale of one to ten, how bad was the SEC's weekend? Uh, I guess with ten being like a really bad weekend, and one being a you know not so bad, um, I would say it was probably about an eight because I think <laughs> you know, um, it's just outside of Alabama and even really LSU. Uh, was, was respectable in their win or in their loss. I mean, you know, they had, they had Alabama scoreless at the start of the fourth quarter and Jalen Hurts did his thing and, uh, you know, just did what Jalen Hurts does, uh, broke loose for a 21 year old, 21 yard touchdown. Um, and they just kind of shut them out and, and their defense stood strong. I, I think when, you know, when you let one get away from you, uh, against Mississippi state 35, 28, if you're Texas A&M, that's a head scratcher to me. Um, I think the biggest head scratcher of all is Florida. Um, they go on the road and lose to Arkansas, and they uh, just—it was one of those games where you watched, and it was a three thirty CBS game. CBS was doing their their uh, annual double header, or uh, centered around the uh, Alabama game, and it's just—you know—you watch that game, and just Florida just—it just seemed like they just did not want to win that game. They were. They were just out of it, I think. They just didn't – I don't know what it was. Like, Florida, you know, to lose 31 to 10, uh, there was one point where you thought they were going to get a resurgence and start to make their way back into the ballgame, and, and uh, they, just, they just wouldn't do it. And, and they just – they came up short. And, you know, when you're Florida and you're looking for a possible playoff spot, um, you know, and, and you're looking for, you know, something to get you going – Losing to Arkansas, a team that's been struggling lately, uh, even though they're six and three, they're two and three in conference. They've been kind of relatively struggling um, throughout, and I just—that's the right. of it. All right. Well, you know, actually, this just came across the wire that Trevor Knight is now out for the year um, with a shoulder injury. He may be able to return for a bowl game, but. He well, looks that's like, fine. You know, that injury was- that's fine because if there's one thing that Texas A&M has is they have so many quarterbacks that they've stockpiled and none have transferred recently. So no, none of them at all have decided to transfer. That the grass is greener other places like Oklahoma. Um, so uh, you know, qu- uh, quietly, <laughs> South Carolina is going to make a bowl game, guys. South Carolina is five and four, and they still have games against. They still have a game at Western Carolina with Western Carolina. So, if there's one coach who can find a way to screw this up, that's Will Muschamp. 
I, I mean, even, you know, even Mustang shouldn't be able to screw up Western Carolina, who is not exactly a powerhouse down in FCS. I mean, yes, the, the other two games are Florida and uh, Clemson. So those probably are going to be losses. But with the way Florida looked this past weekend, you know, I'm not going to put anything past them. Auburn was not great in their home victory over Vandy 23-16. No, you know, I Ole think Miss, they probably should have lost to that, that one. I, yeah, Vandy was I, – I thought Vandy was a better – team in that one. Ole Miss looked disinterested, winning only by 10 over Georgia Southern at home. Um, and, you know, Coach, uh, I guess we'll finish with the Georgia-Kentucky game because, you know, Georgia is, uh, you know, they, they got back on the uh, on the winning side. You, you said they'd win. They did win. And, you know, uh, how, how did you feel about this game? Because we thought, you know, it might be a bit of a trap game for them. Yeah, uh, I, I thought Kentucky is, is not the Kentucky that everybody's used to. Uh, this Kentucky team was one that was going to contend for the SEC East. And they had a good chance if they would have won, uh, they could have held the lead in the SEC East because of Florida losing. Um, but, uh, you know, so they're a much improved team. Offensively, they, you know, with, with – uh, with, with Boom Williams and and uh, Brandon Snell, they do a, a tremendous job in the rushing attack, and, and that showed, you know. But, you know, for this Georgia team, I thought the play calling was a lot better. Um, Jim Chaney, the big change for Georgia was sending Jim Chaney up into the booth uh, to call the game, and I thought that worked very well because he was able to see the field and he was able to call, call a lot better game. I still think uh, there's, there's – uh, protection breakdowns and receivers dropping passes when they're open, uh, things like that that just kind of make you scratch your head and say, uh, I mean, what you know, what's going on here? Uh, it should be an eye-opener for recruiting as far as, hey, if you're an elite receiver, come to Georgia, you'll probably play and start from day one because this receiving core is about as bad as it gets. You could probably um, say the same thing about the D-backs, couldn't you? Yeah, probably so. Um, although they're, they're a little bit more – uh, improve. They're they're improving each. The defense is improving each and every week. Um, the the front seven is, is starting to become pretty nasty uh, with Natrez Patrick, Roquan Smith. Some of the uh, some of the freshmen are actually getting more involved uh, as we go, especially on the defensive line. Um, you have. Let's see if I can get some names for you because um, I really don't know a whole lot of names here. Um, and it's Benny Snell, not. Not Brandon Snell. Um, you know, you have guys like uh, David Marshall who had four tackles um, as a as a freshman. He had one sack as well. Um, he's a freshman defensive lineman. Uh, you have uh, uh, Jonathan Ledbetter had four tackles there. Uh, Tyler Clark having a big tackle um, and a uh, tackle for loss as well. Um, so those are a couple of the uh, the freshman defensive linemen that are getting involved. Um, early on, uh, then you have Julian Rochester, who uh, who actually had some trouble um, in the uh, in the summertime, getting in trouble for having a BB gun on campus. Um, he he chipped in with eight tackles, four solos, uh, a sack, and a tackle for loss. So he had a pretty big game there as well. Uh, Maurice Smith um, at, at corner had five tackles. Uh, which is, you know, usually you don't see that much out of a, out of a, uh, out of a cornerback. So, you know, I, I think this defense is much improved. You're starting to get more, uh, starting to get more looks from the young guys. 
Uh, tight ends are starting to become uh, more, more and more used in, in the offensive attack, and that was something we talked about even as early as uh, you know our preseason preview uh, with Jim Chaney being known to to have uh, to use his tight ends and and Georgia having four uh, four tight ends on their roster that uh, that could start anywhere in the country. Um, they're starting to kind of be used. The freshman Isaac Nada has become a starter now um, at the tight end position, which not really surprising. The kid was a five star coming out of IMG, and uh, not really surprising that he's gotten in the starting role. He is definitely the biggest, most physical, and and best tight end that Georgia has on their roster. So um, one of the uh, one of the one of the bonuses, and this will be my last point here, one of the hashtag uh, year third phase, I think Georgia's found themselves a place kicker, uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, or as they call him, Hot Rod. Uh, he was four of four uh, with a long of 49, including uh, he was four for four in field goal attempts, uh, and the fourth one being the game winner um, as time expired. So uh, Hot Rod, Rodrigo Blankenship is starting to become the kicker in Athens. And uh, you know, with him improving, you are you're seeing uh, you're seeing Georgia's team improve as well. All right, yeah. So like, oh, well, let's end it there on that high note for Georgia, and laugh at South Carolina one more time because even though they're five and four, they have scored twenty points less than teams have scored against them, and that's only going to increase with games against Clemson and Florida. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, that is going to do it for our uh, new version, our, our, our new format here on Illegal Motion. So uh, thank you all for sticking well, with us. I just have one quick comment. I can't believe we haven't talked about Arkansas State. They are 4-0 in Sunbelt play. They have not lost a conference game since November 20th of 2014. Hot diggity dog. That's almost two years. I yeah. know. It's, it's pretty crazy. They start 0-4, and, and they're calling for firings of the offensive coordinator and the head coach and whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, it's – you know, I, I kind of predicted this was going to happen uh, when I saw that they did the same thing last year. They they pretty much went over in their non-conference, and then when the conference play hit, they were they were undefeated to win the, to win the Sun Belt. So, um, they're just a team that – it's just odd that this team would turn it on for conference play, but I guess if you're going to turn it on, turn it on for conference play, uh, I guess is the, uh, uh, the, the story here. So um, it's good to see though, you know, Arkansas state is a, uh, you know, they're, they're too good of a bunch not to, uh, not to win the Sun Belt. Uh, we, we, I think it was a clean sweep uh, for Sun Belt for us, I, I believe. Right. I picked, I picked George Southern. Oh, never mind. I picked Arkansas state. Uh, I think Bosco for an eye. Yeah, one for a tie. <laughs> which can so, still happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be that would be seriously crazy. But uh, uh, yeah, so it's uh, it, it's been it's been fun, guys. It's been real. Uh, so we'll definitely uh, might have to you know keep playing with the format a little bit going forward. But I thought that this uh, we had a nice little discussion here today. So um, on behalf of our. Uh, of our convalescing dad to the bone, Coach Corey Burton in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook in Chicago. This is the professor from Los Angeles saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Yeah! 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.